This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Autosport journalist Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going well. We've had the first week of testing. It's all very exciting and some big stories to cover from the first glimpse of F1 2019. Well, the most exciting thing, I think, is that the title has already been wrapped up, but we'll get on to all of that. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're joined by the gobbiest and largest voice in motorsport commentary. It's Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? It's going great. Uh, yes, I've just returned from Race Retro, where I was chin-wagging with some Formula One personnel from the past. But uh, yeah, it's very cool. I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of Formula One chin-wagging this year with ex-drivers. So hopefully I'll bring you some nuggets of wisdom over the year. And I'm going to put some pressure on you. Not really fair to ask in front of everyone, but I know you've got a John Watson interview, and I, I'd, I'd quite like to tag it on to the end of the show. Oh, go on then. I'll let you. Nice. We've also got with us a tech guru from motorsport.com. It's Summers F1. How's it going, Summers? Good evening, gentlemen. I hope you're all well. Testing has really got us hyped, hasn't it? And it's been a while since we've spoken to you. It's not going to be a full-on tech show because Matt's not here and it would be a waste to have me just stare at you blankly and occasionally fall asleep. Especially if we started to talk too much about tyres, eh, Spanners? Every time you talk about tyres, I just see cartoon animals in my head and it's all good. Uh, But what we will get is your tech insight throughout the course of this new show. It's something I've been wanting to do with you, actually. I I get jealous that that Matt hogs you for the tech times and we never get you on for a regular panel. So this is brilliant. Cool. It's great to be here again. Let's talk some news. Big Dirty News. What's the first bit of big, dirty news, Chris? Well, I think the first thing we've got to talk about is Ferrari, surely. And the powers that be 
have uh, given them the title. Basically, in 2019, the, the title has been awarded to Ferrari on day two of testing by Twitter. So that's it, guys. Wrap it all up. Let's go home. Uh, but people have once again looked at the Ferrari on track in testing and gone, this is it. This is the year. Well, and, and to be fair, there is something to it because the Ferrari does certainly seem like a strong package, but it's all about uh, how good is it relative to the Mercedes. And that's some 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 of the questions we're going to answer uh, tonight. Um, for people who aren't so familiar with testing, we don't read into the ultimate lap times because obviously we don't know the programs that they're running, what fuel loads they're running out, the engine modes, et cetera, et cetera. So it is difficult to just look at lap times and say that they're going to be quickest, they're going to be behind them, and they're going to be fifth or, or whatever. Um, but so far, the Ferrari has impressed and has got Mercedes um, thinking they were showing some good pace the the race pace as well that they were uh, showing throughout the first few days were very good but Mercedes uh, so far haven't turned the wick up yeah well Jake I know I know that the educated thing to say is that you can't tell anything from testing but I mean that's no fun we are going to just wildly speculate aren't we absolutely and I'm going to make a wild speculation that this year's world champion will be Charles Leclerc there I said it. It's going to happen. Genuinely, uh, Sebastian Vettel is so good at messing up world title opportunities that it's just going to be ingrained into his psyche now. He's just going to throw it away mid-season. Charles Leclerc will pick up the ball. He'll start winning races like crazy because nobody's expecting to. And he is that good a driver. So I genuinely think if anyone at Ferrari is going to be world champion, it's going to be Charles Leclerc. And Vettel can't even see it coming. Autosport were really keen to, to point out how Ferrari has changed over the winter now of course under, what? yeah um, no under Binotto's regime now rather than Arriva Bene they've been pointing out how much happier the team seems and Sebastian Vettel certainly was very beaming after the first day of testing overall everyone inside the garage seems um very happy right down to their relations with the media which are suddenly very positive and we know that Ferrari are, are well known for being a team that doesn't speak to the media all that often unless it absolutely has to. So certainly from within, there seem to be some very good signs there. It may end up being that things are stronger internally. And with the team, you've probably got a good point. With Vettel, I'm not sure. I I just think he's one of these people who gets himself either into too confident a place or too panicky a pace. And either way, he ends up throwing it. He's just so good at binning it now. It's almost an art the way he throws races away these days. (laughs) And I just don't see him turning that around in 2019. I'd like to because it'd be nice to have some variety. But I I genuinely think Charles Leclerc's ability is so strong Mm -hmm. that he'll pull a Hamilton or a Villeneuve. He'll win the title in his second year. I'm convinced of it. Uh, Summers, this is interesting. We could have another kind of 2007 situation where a young rookie comes in and just sort of beats up a, a world champion for a bit and just ruins the overall team points tally. Yeah, and certainly Charles Leclerc is the, is the real deal. But don't bother to sit on the fence, Jake, at all with the, the metal <laughs> side of things. Um, I don't think he's quite lost all of his talents, but he's clearly um, had issues over the last couple of years when it comes to converting things, hasn't he? Um, and certainly I think that the pressure is really going to be on this year because Kimi really played a backseat role over the last couple of seasons to, to help Vettel wherever it was possible. And you're certainly not going to see that from Charles. Although 
Bonotto has already said, mentioned that the opening few races, if the scenario does unfold, we'll see a situation where Charles has to kind of make way for the the, the championship in, champion in waiting. I, I love the fact that Jake is just so unashamedly a Vettel hater. You're not even denying it. And on the YouTube comments, I can see them right now. They're writing themselves. Oh, who's that idiot that normally wears the stupid hat and now has even more unacceptable hair on show? Actually, yeah. Oh, what, you mean this yeah, one? Your you hair's, mean this one that I'm not wearing properly? Okay. Your hair's so bad, the hat is actually better. Um, but yeah, we... Oh. we you, you you have previous on hating on Vettel. So uh, this is a known factor. This is a, a feature, not a bug, and no one else was available. Uh, but Jake, the team have come out and said, though, that they would support Sebastian Vettel, especially early on. So all the signs are saying they're going to favour Vettel. So, I mean, Leclerc's going to have to do a lot to, to turn that, that ship around. You're right. And I think initially they've got to back Vettel because he's the proven factor. Leclerc is the risk. So... To a certain extent, yes, they would be stupid not to favour Vettel over Leclerc in the current state of mind. However, come Spain, I have a feeling that Leclerc will have put on such an impressive performance in the practice sessions, in the qualifying, and in particularly the middle phase of the races where tyre management is key, that they will start to realise, actually, Vettel is not the number one anymore. Now we've got two equal drivers. And especially when you go back to the fact that Leclerc's talent was honed, in the gearbox world of world championship karting, he was second to a chap called Max Verstappen in 2013 at the world championship at Varennes in France, when they were 15 and 16 years old, respectfully, when to win that championship, you've got to be in your late 20s, early 30s. They're the two youngest men ever to stand on that podium. So we're talking about Max Verstappen as the new Ayrton Senna. Charles Leclerc is as good, if not even slightly better. So I think people will be, I, I won't be astonished at all if Leclerc wins his first Grand Prix in the next four races. I genuinely think he'll do that. And if he gets momentum from that and confidence from that, I can easily see him outscoring Vettel and possibly with that become world champion. The issue that I think Leclerc is going to face is simply just from the fact that it's his first season at Ferrari. We very rarely see guys come on board and immediately take to the, to the title hunt. There are also exceptions to to that rule, uh, and I think in terms of the bigger picture of the grid, it's not going to make as much of a difference because of the way Formula One is at the moment. But if you look at Lewis Hamilton's first year at Mercedes, he wasn't dominating Nico Rosberg all the time, especially in certain racing scenarios. So I think expecting a title challenge from him straight out of the box um isn't isn't quite right it'd be a pleasant surprise but uh i'm for one i'm, I'm not expecting one w- would you go as far as to say that anyone holding that opinion is crazy and lacking in credentials i think jake is crazy and lacking in credentials in general uh, boom <laughs> but um i it's it's certainly not an opinion i would put out there uh summers then uh, am i mad in thinking that all this has happened before. I may have put out a sarcastic tweet or two about everyone bigging up Ferrari, uh, but you've been in and around Mist Apex now right since the beginning, and you know that me and Matt have had this same argument year after year, uh, especially in the last two years, so this year and the two seasons before that. Ferrari come out in testing, kind of showing nearly everything. They come out, they put performance on, and they show the world, Ferrari is here, and it's a familiar pattern. Is it different this year? What's different this year? 
I still think that there's a latent amount of that going on. I don't think they're perhaps showing all of their hand. Uh, they've only really showed their headline uh, times on the medium tyre for argument's sake. And that is quite different from what we've seen from them in the past. You know, they tend to to run in the softer range of the tyres as well uh, during testing. And we haven't really seen that or certainly seen the times of, of that for proof. So I do think that there's potential for, for Ferrari to, to be in a better situation than they have in the past. But I don't believe the hype in that they are leading the likes of Mercedes in the way that everybody is portraying that. The thing is, there is a scrap of evidence to suggest that Mercedes don't have everything hooked up at this very moment in time. Now, of course, we've got to bear in mind that what we talk about on this show is the current state of play. But the state of play is going to change between now and the end of the second test. It's going to change again between the end of the second test and FP1 in Melbourne. So this it, take it with a pinch of salt because this is just what's happening right at this very moment. But uh, and I'm actually going to dabble into some summer's territory here. But Mercedes is really oh, the only low rake car, um, and therefore uh, the comment is is that they're lacking a bit of uh, a bit of high speed downforce, a bit of understeer there has been built into it, and uh, Bottas has been commenting on that um, more than than Lewis at this point. Um, but again, this could uh, change between uh, now and, and the second test okay summers let me put that in a more coherent question uh, i've heard from various sources that the mercedes front wing is operating very well and generating a lot of downforce but they've not managed to balance that with the rear so whilst asking you that question also keep in mind that there's been a lot of talk about this ferrari new super front wing and i'm i'm informed that mercedes are looking jealously at that front wing so any insight on that would be great okay have you just done a mat and asked several questions in one go i i, I only asked three he normally does 17 but yeah um okay so firstly i think that the thing to realize is that the change in regulations has had a major impact on the the, the development of this year's cars um the front wing is very critical into the way in which that the airflow moves across the, the the car in its entirety and predominantly the front wing doesn't just generate downforce we are also generating airflow structures that move down the, the rest of the car so uh, the wing being made wider means that there's more potential to create downforce. And in terms of Mercedes, obviously, they have gone on the one end of the spectrum in terms of their front wing, and Ferrari have gone far at the other end of the spectrum. Not quite as far as Sauber, but they're on that end of the spectrum. And so what I think you'll see is that Mercedes will come to the second test with something slightly different. You have to remember that this car that we saw in the first test is really the first beta version of the car it's what they shook the car down with at silverstone um and they, they'll constantly be having updates coming to the car throughout the next few days so yeah i i don't think that there's really much to have been read into uh the first test in that respect because there, there's so much more development to come chris and it is worth saying it is worth saying as well that although the mercedes has not changed its concept from previous years it does seem like the change in regulations has hit them ever so slightly harder. Like even saying hit them makes it sound more dramatic than the effect actually is. Because w- when you hear it in just plain words, it sounds like Mercedes are going to be third or fourth in the standings. But it, we're talking just a, a tenth or two to Ferrari at this stage. I think what you'll also have to remember, Chris, is that Mercedes have been out there on their own for such a long period of time. And it's always easier to catch up 
especially when the regulations aren't changing such a, a drastic amount. Yes, we can say that the regulations have had quite an impact this year in terms of the front wing brake ducts and rear wing, but uh, the, the actual design of the car overall hasn't tra- changed dramatically. In fact, I, I'm I'm saying that these new cars are actually quicker than the previous ones. The regulations have actually allowed the cars to become quicker, something that the FIA, you know, perhaps have dropped the ball on. It's all the, the barge board stuff. That's become like the new key development area, isn't it? That's what everyone's been saying. And what well, you can see just how many winglets and bits are all hanging off the sides of the cars on that. Hopefully they're going to clean up for the next set of regulations in 2021. I think it's difficult to pinpoint it just to the barge boards because they're they're not really any more complex than they were last year. I think a lot of the performance here that we're getting now comes down to a refinement of what everybody understands since the 2017 regulations. And also the span of the front wing going from 1800 millimetres to two metres was actually, I think, a, a mistake by the FIA because it's allowed... Uh, the teams to continue to use the outwash that they were trying to get rid of. So technically, they've actually may have given them a better tool than they already had. I just remembered why I don't host Tech Time. God, thanks, Trumpets, because I just find it hard to concentrate on. And when I listen back to Tech Time, I, I find I listen to it sort of three times. So uh, don't worry if you're not quite following along. Just scroll back another 60 seconds. And then you, it's once you get used to the accent, isn't it? I think that once you're once you're dialed in, it all makes a lot more sense. Watch some Peaky Blinders, and then you'll be okay. <laughs> uh, okay, Jake. We've talked about the dynamic between the two Ferrari teammates, and you've made quite an interesting point there with Leclerc. I have a lot of actual sympathy for you saying that Leclerc will cause Vettel more trouble than people are expecting. I I have long thought that Sebastian Vettel is punching above his weight in terms of reputation compared to how he would do in a raw one-to-one fight against, say, Lewis Hamilton, Alonso, um, Sergio Perez, you know, the, the, the true greats of the sport. Um, <laughs> but this could be the season of reckoning if the politics isn't suiting him. And remember that we've, we've changed politics at Ferrari. So very interesting. But what are your thoughts on the, the Mercedes partnership? Interesting to note that Bottas has been struggling in testing he's been reporting this imbalance issue whereas Lewis Hamilton less so the golf is much clearer at that team yeah it's interesting because I think this is a make or break year for Bottas's Formula One career Um, he needs to be closer to Hamilton in terms of his overall pace and he needs to be making fewer mistakes than he made last year if he wants to keep his seat in the team because Mercedes have that pivotal pair of drivers in their arm in their wing if you like who could well represent the future of their team if Bottas doesn't perform they've got Esteban Ocon waiting in the wings who could well replace him because we know that Toto Wolff really likes him and if Russell does a reasonably good job in the Williams there's only so much he can do with that car based on what we've seen over the last week and a half but if he manages to produce a Leclerc style season in that Williams uh, and basically make a bit of a giant killing, it could well be him that replaces Bottas. I've got a bit of a theory that Bottas will be replaced for next year by Ocon. And then when Hamilton decides that's it, I'm done, they'll call on George Russell to replace him. So I think that's kind of where the future of the Mercedes team is. So for Mm -hmm. Bottas, this year is critical. Otherwise, he may well find himself ending up at Williams again for 2020. He needs to be very careful about 
how much he delivers this year. Okay, well, let's have a quick diversion there, since we're talking about future driver shuffles. Dirty Arcade in the chat room. Hello, and hello to all the chat room. You can find them by searching Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube, and you can come and join us when we record live. Says, any chance that Danny Rick signs with either Merck or Ferrari next year? I can't see either of those teams being interested in Daniel Ricciardo. No, I don't think it's likely. Um, If he were to go to either of those teams, I think the more likely bet would be Ferrari. But even then, I don't really see it happening just because I think they want to push Vettel to at least the end of 2020. Uh, Charles Leclerc is in for the long haul. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, it's a difficult one because... This is all dependent on how good the Renault is. If the Renault is fantastic, he'll be there for the next five years. If the Renault is not great, then he's going to be scrabbling at the midfield for the rest of his career. This is a massive risk he's taken. I really admire him for doing so because he wasn't prepared to play second fiddle to Vettel any longer. He wasn't prepared to play second fiddle to Verstappen any longer. He's got to be a team leader. And this is the only way he can do that with a major manufacturer. I don't see him joining either Merck or Ferrari for next year, though. Him and Renault have got a long term plan. You have to be in a manufacturer to win races in Formula One these days, unfortunately. Um, and Mercedes and Ferrari are both you know, taken up and he isn't happy at Red Bull. Being at Renault, he's putting in the legwork now. And I think the aim is by 2021, they should be in a race winning position. Um, even if his, his Renault career didn't get off to the best of starts, rear wing fell off after <laughs> how many laps? Uh, and didn't he describe it as racing with a sail? I think uh, it was either, is that right, Summers? It was either Hulk or Ricciardo who said it was like racing with a sail. Hawkenberg mentioned that it was like having a parachute on the back of the car. Right. Uh, let's uh, let's go to Summers just quickly then. Let's see if I've got my understanding right here because what I've heard, essentially my understanding, and you may have covered this earlier, it's just that I just zoned out. Uh, the, the Mercedes looks like it's quick, but it's going to be harder to dial in. And actually, that's reasonably similar to what was happening throughout all of last season. If that's the case, that suits Hamilton better, I think. You know, there's Hamilton maybe less vulnerable to those kind of issues and he might be like quite happy if it's quick, but you need to get it dialed in. And he's got a teammate who's sensitive to an unbalanced car. You know, that's him just, you know, sixth world title. All I've got to do is wait for the Ferraris to collide. Yeah, well, as Chris mentioned earlier, the, the team have continued with their long uh, wheelbase, low rake philosophy. So you're always going to have these sort of issues arise in terms of the setup performance because you, you, you're baking the sort, these sort of things into the car every year that you, you continue with, it, with, with the philosophy. Um, again, I think that the Mercedes has got those kind of problems built into it. They've tried to te- get rid of some of those teething issues. They've talked about that when they launched the car. James Allison was um, trying to big up the team in terms of the way in which that they're trying to deal with the, the tyre management side of things. But the problem is, is that Mercedes perhaps uh, were already suffering with with tyre management uh, throughout 2017 and 2018. Uh, And now that we've got to a stage where the Pirelli tyres have changed again and also the temperatures of the the tyre blankets and all of that sort of uh, information. So I think, yeah, Mercedes at this moment in time can't quite dial the car in, but I still think it has a huge amount of potential, that car, and will most certainly be taking the the fight to Ferrari. 
Matthew Summerfield. Summer's F1. It's summer, summer, summertime. So glad to have you back on the show. What are you up to in terms of your own personal content? We know that you do a lot of work at motorsport.com, um, but you've got some personal stuff going on as well. Yeah, well, motorsport.com, I'm working on the Giorgio Piala archive now. Um, I moved over to the, the archive side of stuff, which has kind of freed me off in some respects to, to cover my own things. So over on my YouTube channel this season, I'm going to be covering all the developments, putting together some videos, etc. And that's how I'm going to cover the season. Do you have any need for a guest star that pays attention to at least 30% of of your your content? So you're not going to be on that then, Spanner, seeing as <laughs> you can't hold 30% no, of attention. Not a star. Can't pay attention. Don't actually want to. It would just be nice to be invited. Wow. Rude. Uh, Summers, where's the best place for people to find you? The best place, as always, is over on Twitter, SummersF1. Uh, all my social handles are the same, SummersF1. And obviously, if you want to jump on over to my YouTube channel, that would be muchly appreciated. Um, and again, it's SummersF1. Excellent. Chris, if we turn our attention to testing news, what takes your fancy this week? Um, well, I think the, the second biggest story, other than the obvious battle at the front, um, is the lack of Williams. Uh, they've missed a quarter of testing. Um, uh, there, are, there are a couple of stories as to why um, that is the case. One is a rather not quite as interesting supplier issue story. Um, <laughs> the other one, which is a bit more interesting. Wait a minute, Chris. Are you saying that logistical support analysis isn't an interesting and fascinating subject? No, come on. Let's talk Williams supply chains. What was the issue? Well, we, d- we don't know. That's the that's kind of the official word from the team um, or as close as they're going to get. Um, while they were throwing out words like embarrassment about the situation. Um, but there there is a potential that uh, a couple of weeks ago, they had to drastically redesign the front end of their car because they'd found something uh, that was going to push them over the deadline in terms of making the first test. And what I don't understand is why they didn't say, we're going to miss the first few days of testing straight out the box uh, because we found this thing and we're having to re- take a redesign approach or maybe dress it up a little bit. The fact that they went, we, we might miss the filming day. We we might miss the first day of testing. Yeah, we're going to miss the first day. We'll, we'll try and make it for the second day. We're not going to make it for the second. Day. We might get out on Wednesday if we're lucky. That has yeah. just snowballed and made the whole situation worse. And the, the comment that I think has worried me the most is hearing that Claire Williams only found out about that delay on the Friday. Now, certainly if that was true, I wouldn't let anyone know about that because if you're a project manager, CEO, and you don't know that your first major milestone is going to be missed and you didn't know about that until like a couple of days before that's that's huge that's really worrying chris well it gets worse still because they couldn't even do proper aero runs because they still didn't have all the proper 2019 parts on the car and there's there's so many words springing around about the morale and the team is as low as it's ever been there's talks of paddy Lowe being pushed out of the team of course is responsible uh for the design of that car um there's there's talk of big changes coming in internally at williams it's very difficult because we have to remind ourselves that this is a team that has several world drivers and world constructors championships to its name and it's 2019 and they are a shadow of their former selves in a way completely different to that of mclaren who are having a similar hardship 
And with Williams, it's almost like flogging the dead horse almost a little bit. It's like, come on, can you keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again before it just gets tiresome? They've chosen two of the best drivers they could have gone for in the situation, Robert Kubica and George Russell. And I really worry that if that car is beneath them, they're going to look like Minardi. And that's the real problem, because this is a Williams that we're talking about here. This is a world championship winning team. This is not a Minardi, and it could well end up being one. Chris. Well, that's the thing. In, in modern F1, it is unheard of to miss the start of testing. For a team like Williams, like the only teams that would were the proper cash-strapped teams like Mauricio and, and Caterham. That's not Williams. You know, yeah, it, and, and let's not forget, this is the team that at the Austrian Grand Prix in 2014, they were leading. They were leading one and two in the first couple of corners with Massa and Bottas ahead of Hamilton and Rosberg. Now, that is a giant killing effort. That was only five years ago. How have they gone from that to where they are now in five seasons? It's astonishing. Some good chat room comments. Uh, Stuart Neal says the fact that Rob Smedley jumped ship at the end of last year speaks volumes. Unfortunately, blackout 19 it's almost like Williams' problems are management-driven rather than engineering-driven. Hashtag shock. Uh, Rob Graham suggests that Williams need to hand out chocolate bars. Well, that worked well for McLaren, didn't it, I suppose? And Bruce Wainstein says Claire seems like a nice person. But let's be honest, she only still has her job because of her surname. That's a very, that is from the chat room. And that's a very direct thing to say. But let's be fair, Jake. A lot of people are thinking that. And, uh, you know, the internet is thinking that loudly, if you like. She needs to do something. Something would have to change for us to turn around and go, do you know what? Yeah, she's a, a, a great F1 principal. I, I'm sure she's earnestly trying. I'm just saying it doesn't look good. It's harsh to suggest that Claire Williams is the reason the team is struggling. There's an argument for it, but I don't think that's the only issue. I think there's a lot more to it than that. You've got to remember that a lot of the money that's been invested into Williams in the last few years has come from their major sponsor, Martini. They've pulled out, so they've had to try and find a new commercial backer. That hasn't gone very well for them. They've been pretty much saved by the fact that they've got a commercial sponsor in Rokit. There is a lot of hubbub about where this deals come from and what Rokit actually is. <laughs> I mean, if you do a Google search and look at Rokit's HQ, it looks like they're based out of an office somewhere like Stonely Park. It doesn't quite ring true for a multi-million pound business backing a Formula One team. So it's a little bit dubious. And that's a concern because I don't think Williams has ever gone into a, se a season with such a not poor, but certainly low key commercial package. And I worry that this could be the beginning of the end. You, you have to look at the rest of the grid and see that most of the other teams in the midfield are, are looking pretty well off. You know, Renault is a manufacturer is making step forwards. Haas have got a title sponsor now in the form of Rich Energy. Racing Point has now got more money than it knows what to do with. Sauber is now a de facto works entry in the form of being an Alfa Romeo team with a lot of money now. There's nothing like that going on down at Williams or McLaren, for that matter, but you know, for Williams, you have to start looking at like, where is the solution coming from then? And there just doesn't seem to be one on the horizon. Well, let's just ask Summers. So what would you do from a tech point of view to, to make Williams competitive? Just, just like steal a car from somewhere else? And, and, well, and actually, that, is, is that, it as that, bad as it looks? 
I don't think it's as bad as it looks. It's bad in terms of not being there and not doing the mileage. The car is actually pretty interesting from a technical point of view in some facets. So I'm pleased that at least it's not something really beige and they're just going to troll around the back of the grid with a really boring, non-technical car. My biggest concern about not arriving at testing would have been, why didn't they just rock up with the FW41? Um, the, the car from a technical point of view wouldn't have been um, representative in terms of the wings, et cetera, that were loaded on the car, but at least they could have gone out there and got some tyre data. Um, and that, to me, means that this was all very late to the yeah. party. They didn't understand until very late because if I was at Williams and I realised what was going on here, I would have made a contingency plan uh, and I was, would have wanted that mileage on, on the board. And just to be completely clear, no one here has any knowledge that Claire Williams is to blame. It's not that we're saying categorically that that is the case, but the case for that in discussions around the internet and certainly the conversations we have, you go, well, we think this is the problem. Where does that lead? It does keep going back to Claire. So that's that's where we're at at the moment and more than happy to hear any arguments that say it's not coming from the top. There's some other kind of problem. Jake? Yeah, I was just going to reflect on what Summers has said, basically. It's a shame they can't use their old car, or at least an update of their old car, because you, from a team's point of view, especially with Kubica needing to get some as much mileage in as is physically possible to get him ready for the new season. I mean, that's one of the big stories of the year that he's returning. He needs to be absolutely A1 ready. If he's not getting mileage in the new car or even the old car, then he's not going to be at peak physical fitness. Not just... Um... Kubica, but also Russell as well. Of course, you know, he's had some test days in what was the Force India in the Mercedes uh, last year, but he's still a rookie in Formula One. He's got to be able to, to try and get some laps in a proper 2019 car under his belt. I don't think that's too much of a crisis because I know that Toto was particularly impressed with Russell when he did some laps in the Mercedes F1 car. He was not far off the same sort of Delta times as Hamilton. And there was certainly a lot of comparisons between the two at the same stages of their careers. So I don't think it's going to be a career killer for Russell. I do think it's going to be a career killer for Kubica, Williams as a whole team, and anybody that's in any way affiliated to it in 2019. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jake Sanson, you're not just the bane of my life when it comes to audio and a million edits that I have to do. The price that I have to pay of staying up extra late to edit your incompetence is worth it for your valuable opinions. Genuinely, Jake, in real life, I mean, you and I have commentated together and I'm not really a commentator. You bring to life racing in a fantastic way. I've seen you turn uh, lawnmower racing into a into a fantastic spectacle. Not saying it's not, but your colour commentary has made it very exciting. Uh, how is all the commentary going and and that kind of thing? I know big exciting things afoot for you. Oh, you say the nicest things, Spanners. Uh, yes, uh, this year is going to be a very good one. Uh, I came back from Dubai last month. I did uh, an amazing event over in uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, which was the Dubai O-Plate. So it's like the Indy 500 of karting in the Middle East. Very cool event. Uh, and we're going to be doing lots of European karting this year with the IAMI European Series, which is like the Ferrari of karting. And uh, also FIA's European and World Series, where Ralph Schumacher has a team, Nico Rosberg has a team, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya son, Jarno Trulli's son, and possibly even Mika Hakkinen's son are racing in it this year. Felipe Massa is our karting president. So there's massive Formula One influence and a lot of the Formula One drivers of the future uh, are going to be winning. To give you a little bit of context, uh, the Gearbox Championship that we're doing later in the year, that was won by Max Verstappen in 2013. The OK World Championship, that was won by Lando Norris in 2014. And he's still the youngest ever karting world champion. So that's what we're going to be doing in 2019. And you also run a much less good podcast network called <laughs> Downforce. I do. I do run a much less good podcast network called Downforce UK, which is going to not be a podcast network for the remainder of the future. It's going to be a radio station 24-7, <laughs> Downforce Radio Station. Our funding came through over the course of the last fortnight, so it's going to happen. We're launching late March uh, and we're going to have, you know, podcasts, live news, updates, motoring content, as well as motorsport content. There's live coverage, interviews, features, competitions. We've joined forces with Scalextric for the 2019 season. So there's loads of cool content coming for us. See, the second I said that word, everybody in the room just <laughs> grinned. You know, everybody yeah. loves that brand. Yeah, and we love that we've joined forces with them for this year. There's lots of F1 rallying, touring car, stock car, kiddie content. Uh, we're going to be working with some really, really cool people over the course of the season great content for the older people for the younger people for those who are somewhere in between it's going to be a massive massive year oh i was genuinely excited but then you talked for a bit too long and then i, I lost sorry interest. <laughs> go and search for jake sanson on twitter and downforce radio on twitter and facebook as well it's something i will jump onto on occasion uh, definitely a an outlet that gets to the, the heart and the core of motorsport. Let's talk a bit more about F1 because one of the controversies has been will these new rules actually help overtaking and following? Summers, what I have heard from the people who are kind enough to talk to me is that it's yeah, good effort. You know, the idea was right, but in practicality, it's not really going to make a difference. And 
the fact is that the teams still have an active advantage from messing up the car behind. If you are a Formula One car and you have a car behind you, you don't want him to get close. And if you have an aero, aero, aero sensitive car behind you, you want to just mess up that aero as much as you can. The teams still have every incentive and the capability to do that. So what I'm hearing is, basically, it's not worked. Yeah, now, the, unfortunately, as I mentioned at the start of the show, Spanners, we, we're in a situation where the teams want to always outdo what the FIA are putting in place in terms of the regulations. And what they were trying to do was reduce the outwash that is created by the front wing. And in doing so, that would change the overall wake structure that's created by the car. Now, unfortunately, the teams want this outwash because it helps to improve the overall performance of the car. It helps manage the underside of the floor and creates more downforce for, for the car in its entirety. And so they're always going to try to to circumvent any regulations that come to to stop this effect from happening and and what we've seen is that the teams have made very decisive decisions about how to regenerate this outwash effect so yes the the simple answer is is that the FIA's rule change has done something but it hasn't gone far enough to dissuade the teams from creating the outwash to improve their own performance and now, Chris, we were talking from a kind of sport and perception point of view. I think this this counts as a fail. They were pretty public in saying, hey, we are going to improve following. We're, we're finally going to solve this problem. It's a little bit like every opposition government comes in and says it's going to reduce waste uh, and they're going to, you know, they're going to do this obvious thing. So vote for us. So it was a very popular move when they said we're going to basically make it so that these cars can follow. When it turns out that there's no difference, everyone's going to go, huh? How come? So PR-wise, it's a fail. I think the perception of it is, is, is very important because I think as they started to realise that the teams are actually going to end up making these, car qu- these cars quicker than what they were last year, despite losing the downforce, was that they, were, they almost tried to sort of tidy it up and say, well, we're trying to counteract that. So, so long as the racing isn't worse than, than last year then it will be considered a win. No. But in all honesty, I don't think the wings are going to make uh, all that much of a difference to the racing. I, the tyres are probably going to be uh, a, a bigger factor in the racing because they have uh, a higher working range now, so they're less prone to overheating. So that's going to be good when you're following another car. Um, but I do think that the uh, the new wings are... I, I wouldn't call them a failure until we've actually seen a race. So if Australia turns out to be really good, it's a good benchmark because it's tough to overtake there. But there's, uh, yeah, they, they could have been better. Jake? Uh, I wish I could be positive about it, but I just don't see it making a massive difference. I would like it to, and there's certainly positive signs that Ferrari and Mercedes are going to be closer to each other than they have been. But in terms of the overall show, I just don't see it making a massive difference. I think we're going to get to first couple of Grand Prix and the show will be the same type of spectacle. It'll be the same type of battle. Most of the excitement will still come from the pit stop phases. I wish it was more wheel to wheel, but I just don't see it happening. I also think that it's quite important to remember that we've not seen uh, a, a race yet. 
Um, we haven't seen the effect that the DRS will have. And I know that, that everybody is not a fan of DRS, but there are changes to the regulations that will have had an impact on how DRS is employed. We're almost realistically going back to when it was first introduced with the, the wider wings and the taller uh, top flap, which will basically allow a much larger DRS delta. So effectively, if a driver gets in behind another driver and deploys DRS, it should have more of an effect than it did in the previous years. So we could see a, a change in that respect, especially that because there's more drag on these cars. So you should see that, that sort of delta closing down a little bit. All right, Chris, does that make you happy? The, the thing is, though, last season was pretty exciting. So it's, it's not like doom and gloom. It's just they said, and they certainly gave us the impression, that you were going to have cars like following each other through turn three at Barcelona, nose to tail, you know, and it's probably not going to change. So if it wasn't going to change, why say anything? Uh, it's never going to happen in Formula One, is it? The, 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 the problem is inherent in Formula One. They are deeply, deeply aerodynamically dependent cars. That is just a, a factor of high-end single-seater racing. I think the problem is, is that a, a lot of motorsport now is pushing the entertainment side of things rather than the sporting side of things yeah and so they're, they're trying to come up with ways to artificially make things more and more exciting and they're just pushing that barrier more and more and more but the fact is formula one figures went up last year didn't they i think when you have a great battle between mercedes and ferrari two of the biggest car manufacturers with two of the greatest formula one drivers who ever lived battling out for the championship that's what pulls in views uh, not necessarily cars following each other nose to tail through cops corner every single lap there's loads of really good racing out there where they're nose to tail you don't have to just watch f1 you can go and have a great time watching caterham racing on channel four and that's a, that's a really good time and there were great races last season weren't there some fantastic races so it's not like it's the end of the world you can you can see it's an issue but it's not a, a drastic, oh my God, we have to fix this immediately. It's, it's not as bad as what everyone thought it was after the first race in Australia when, the, when these regulations were drafted up, for example. Uh, let's uh, go to the chat room a little bit. Steve says, the rules have clearly worked, though. Williams will, be, will back up the pack behind the Kubica train and everyone will be super close. Ouch. But actually, there's a real risk there. If you've got a guy who's fast but limited... In some way, you you might get little trains popping up there and then. There you go. There's a prediction. Perhaps Kubica will be great in qualifying. And if he's going to struggle anywhere, it would be on, on race pace. But hopefully he'll be able to, to endure the races and be competitive. People are asking about the Renault DRS, though, Chris. So uh, I'm struggling to find the comment just now. But someone said something about the Renault DRS. And I know you wanted to talk about it. European comments that DRS overtakes overtakes taste like alcohol free beer and here we go it's uh edgevind anderson especially renault's drs on ricky bobby's car so what's going on with the renault drs yeah it was a broken link that sort of that that bar that actually opens up the drs and, and closes it um sort of snapped off um while ricardo was under it and they they have kind of linked it to the fact that the uh, the gap opening is bigger now as an a factor in the incident when it suddenly flew off the car and Ricardo 
just about kept it out the barriers. I think he was lucky <laughs> to do that because if he had hit the walls, it would have lost a fair bit of running. But uh, Renault say it's, it's all sorted now, although they did actually spend a fair bit of the test not running with DRS, um, which surprises me really because I would have thought the first thing you want to check, or one of the first things you want to check when you get it out on track um, is to see how the car reacts under braking when the DRS closes. It's been an issue for teams in the past that the air doesn't reattach quite so quickly or as quickly as they wanted to and the car becomes unstable under braking and ferrari had it um not long after uh, drs was introduced as less of an issue now than back when drs was unlimited on a qualifying lap um because so, it's only confined to two straights at most tracks now so it's really only two braking zones that are being affected but it's still an important factor that you want to dial in straight away good that's well covered summers weigh in okay um, yeah, me basically, Chris has covered most of it there. We have a problem with the Renault DRS actuator that has failed and it allowed the top flap to go too far. And at that point, it just failed. The The centre point of the wing collapsed and, and the, the rear wing came off. But there's actually a, quite an de- interesting design feature that came from Toro Rosso last year and that we now see on the Ferrari this year um, to control the level of travel for the, the DRS, DRS actuator. And they've got a little tail on the top end of the DRS actuator that goes over to the top flap and it just stops that flap going too far. And I think that's something that perhaps we might see uh, a lot of the teams try to, to try to copy throughout the year. Interesting, I assume. Jake, I've got a question for you. As we go out of the top two and to the team that I believe from all things is going to be third, so that is Red Bull Honda. Wondering how optimistic you are about them. I do think they're going to be third. I don't think that's a negative when Ferrari and Mercedes are so far ahead. But what I am hearing is that the Honda hasn't skipped a beat all week and that they've not been doing any performance testing at all. If Honda can turn up with an engine that's faster than last year's and does not break down at all, that's a step up from Renault. Absolutely. I genuinely think that Red Bull Honda could be the surprise surprise package of the 2019 season. I think people need to remember how much groundwork Honda did with McLaren and McLaren were too quick to get rid of them and basically used Honda as a scapegoat for the inefficiencies of their own chassis difficulties. Honda did an amazing job with Toro Rosso last year. You've got to remember that that's still a minnow team and they were punching well above their weight very often in 2018. This year, with Red Bull, with Verstappen, and with the ever-impressive Gasly, who actually brings that Honda technical knowledge to the team, I actually think Red Bull will win a lot of races, if given the chance this year. I think Verstappen could actually weigh in as a title contender. Chris, a big deal for Honda if they end up getting an F1 win back in this new hybrid era. If Red Bull can deliver that, there's going to be a lot of happy... Honda executives and actually a lot of happy Red Bull fans. It's not like they haven't won races, but if they can deliver a win, say, in Barcelona at Silverstone, somewhere where they're not kind of, you know, traditional Red Bull tracks, that's going to be a big step forward. That's going to count as victory this season. Definitely. And I do think they will win races this season. Um, I wouldn't go so far to say as there'll be a championship contender. I think that is potentially asking a little bit too much for uh, for Honda at the moment. It's because, we, I mean, we've, we've seen that Red Bull can't hold a, a steady challenge even um, with Renault. But Gasly's been very positive about the Honda engine. Um, 
certainly saying that it, it seems more powerful than last year's and certainly reliability wise there have been no complaints um at the moment um but we've only seen it you know run under kind of casual conditions they haven't you know properly run it in strict performance conditions and they're the conditions that you really want to see the reliability coming through because that's been the big weak point of honda so far so uh, i think uh, hopefully next week we'll get to see a little bit more on the performance side of things from both red bull and honda and, and see where that leaves them do you concur summers is is this a are we being too down like is there a hype train that we can get aboard well, there's always hype trains to get aboard, isn't there? Um, I, I am optimistic about the Red Bull Honda relationship. I think I'm somewhere in between Jake and Chris. That's uh, somewhere in the middle ground there. Uh, I do believe that they can make up some of the difference that they'll have compared to the Renault and Honda partnership. So under Renault, they clearly had problems with reliability. They were forcing Renault's hand all the time, trying to bring updates for their particular car over the Renault works team. And obviously the relationship became very sour. Um, In terms of Honda, they've given them a bit more freedom. And to be honest, the footprint of the, the Honda power unit is much smaller than the Renault. So if you look at the side pods on this year's car, they're even more paired in than we've seen in the past. So the, the the car itself, from an aerodynamic point of view, should be a step on from last year's car. So does that mean then that they can make up more of that deficit that they're losing in terms of horsepower? I, I think it's going to be a very interesting season in terms of Red Bull. And I do think that they will get in the mix more often than not. Excellent. Fantastic. I want to talk a bit of media stuff now because we've got a few media types here. Obviously, Chris Stevens, he's all about the PR now. Now he's a full-time motorsport guy. Jake, you're a presenter and a commentator. I'm a better presenter, uh, arguably, uh, in that, you know, I just say words better than you, Jake. (laughs) However, um, a lot of news this week about F1 presenter Ted Kravitz and people saying that, you know, they've they've kind of written his sky death sentence, if you like, and they've assumed he's gone. Uh, Would be a big loss, wouldn't it, to our F1 landscape? He's, if nothing else like a massive giant character. He's just about the most exciting person to watch after a Formula One race or even before a Formula One race. Ted has been there for so long in Formula One. Since 1997, he's been uh, an integral part of a Formula One fans weekend. And without him, it will just have a bitter, sour note in some ways. I mean, other people will try and replace him at that job, but they just won't have his brash nature his say what you see mentality he's just he is such a quick wit and you need people like that to keep formula one fresh and original and he actually has a really youthful exuberance for someone who's been around for a long time you can't really replicate that if Karun Chandok has replaced him, at least they've replaced him with somebody who is as good in terms of their technical expertise. Mm-hmm. I don't think he quite has that same laid back personality that Ted Kravitz has, but he'll still be very knowledgeable and insightful. And he won't you won't find anybody who can do a better job than him technically. But Ted Kravitz is a lovable figure. You can't yeah. not do Formula One without him. It's just weird how people piled on and sort of took out their anger at potentially losing Ted Kravitz. By just raining down insults on Karun Chanduk, who is like just one of the most solid media people there. Yeah. Like, you know, point to anything he's done wrong. It's very difficult. Uh, that hate is definitely misplaced. Anybody who throws any form of abuse towards Ted Kravitz, uh, shame on you. Absolute you mean, do you mean, shame do you mean on Karun? you. Karun? 
Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, and to Ted. Absolutely. <laughs> and to Ted. But no, uh, anybody who is lumping abuse to Karun Chandok, shame on you. A, you don't know the context. B, you don't know the full story. And C, how dare you? He's an amazing person who knows what this sport is all about. He's been there for over a decade. He's got the knowledge. He's got the wisdom. He's got the personality. Do a better job and then judge him. So for Ted fans, though, I don't think all hope is gone because somebody somebody sort of shuffled past me earlier and said, bear in mind that Sky haven't confirmed anything and he may not be gone. So I think I think there's some hope there for Ted Kravitz fans. We have with us Tech Supremo Matthew Summerfield from motorsport.com and summersf1.co.uk. You've just heard the voice of erratic but somewhat employable commentator Jake Sanson. But we've also got Chris Stevens, professional PR guy. So uh, how are you feeling about your launch into the motorsport world proper? The change over to the dark side in terms of PR, though, isn't it? <laughs> no, it, I'm really excited about it. I start the new job tomorrow, uh, and I'm really, really excited to be a PR associate at Pole. Uh, they've got a very, very good client list. I'm really excited to be working with the guys down there. I've already spent a day in the office, and it went really, really well. And I, this is going to be a, a big chapter for the next part of my life. And I've even managed to pick up some some freelance work to make sure I'm still doing journalism <laughs> at the same time so that I don't lose my edge. I even got you to do some voiceover work for me as well. So all looking good in Chris world. Uh, you're not Chris underscore underscore journo underscore anymore. You are Chris on racing. Yes, I am on, on the Twitters. There you go. I bothered remembering it. Before we go today, we cannot uh, not quiz summers on a couple of points firstly ferrari's matte paint is that does that matter does anyone like there's a lot of people asking that question uh, just like to me i'm like so does anybody care do you mean spanners that more to the point does it make any um, difference is it like a it, weight loss or something it, it from a technical standpoint it does save some weight but we're talking in the order of grams you know we're not talking huge amounts of, of weight here so yes it makes a difference but it's not substantial and other teams are already doing it such as Red Bull. So, you know, it's not a big, it's not a big thing. Uh, I guess the next question is, does Ferrari have the best front wing and is everyone going to copy them? Uh, As I said earlier, I, I don't think everybody will copy Ferrari. I think you'll see more people end up with something more similar to Ferrari. Um, you have to remember that Sauber actually have the most aggressive version of that style of front wing anyway. So it's not really a, a Ferrari design per se. Both Toro Rosso, Sauber and Ferrari all, all have that front wing. Summers, is that Ferrari paint orange or red? It's red, but it looks orange. Well, hang on. The only thing <laughs> about a colour is what it looks like. If it looks orange, it's orange. Don't you remember that thing a few years ago where the dress was the, the different colour than it actually was? Yes, but this is not like that. It's orange. Jake? I wish I cared more about the, is the matte paint really significant? Do you know the thing I care more about with Ferrari, about the matte paint, is the fact that A, they still haven't got an esports connection to F1 esports, and B, apparently they and Mercedes didn't contribute to this new Netflix F1 documentary series that's coming out. That's why I care more about the matte paint. As, as Summers has pointed out, Everyone else has been doing it. They've just suddenly realised, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We can save 14.7 grams. That'll be brilliant around Monza. Is it orange or red, though? Uh, No, orange arrows is orange. That's it. Anything else is just red. 
Yeah, you're both wrong. It's terrible. It's the worst panel we've had for a long time. McLaren's orange, just ish. (laughs) Yeah, I can't. My eyesight's not good. I can't see that far back down the grid. Although everyone, surprisingly, is being really optimistic about McLaren, but with almost faint praise, aren't they? So, like, you know, Chris, people are kind of going, do you know what? They're not going to be as bad as you think. It's because the wheels literally haven't fallen off the car during testing so far, which is a problem they've had in the past, of course. Yes. Uh, but no, I mean, fair enough. They've run reliably. Good first step. Now let's see some performance. I'll believe it when I see it. I think it's the same problem, isn't it? As we've seen from them for the last few years, we've expected them because the McLaren to come out straight out the blocks and go, wow, fastest of all. And it just isn't happening with the Renault engine combination. We know the Renault engine isn't strong yet compared to <laughs> Honda. And, um, yeah, we've got two new drivers in the team, still acclimatizing to the McLaren way of life. Carlos signs the jury's still out on him. Lando Norris, he's 18 years old and making his Formula One debut in the biggest microscope in Formula One British racing driver history. He's the youngest ever rookie. So it's going to be make or break for everybody within that team this year. They've got to be impressive. And so far, they're just average. S- uh, Summers, Corku in the chat room says, I'm a McLaren fan. It's the hope that kills me. Well, the thing I always think about when I talk to McLaren fans is there's always a hashtag, believe in McLaren. And I think that powers them, to be perfectly (laughs) honest. Uh, But from a technical point of view, the the car is relatively interesting. And that, I think, is why there's a bit of of hype around them, because it is at least an interesting car. but they aren't really producing anything revolutionary. They're copying many of the other ideas that we see up and down the grid, but they're doing it in a way that makes the car look cohesive. And I think the other thing that is going to drive performance from McLaren this year is that they can rectify some of the issues they had last year with the performance of the power unit. Uh, Obviously, the Renault, they took on very late. They'd already done a lot of the design work on the Honda power unit. So I think there's lots of gains to be had from McLaren. But the problem for McLaren, as always, is nobody else has stood still. Everybody else has got quicker too. There's a question in the chat room, actually. This is what defines success for McLaren this year? And I think it's got to be, they've got to beat Renault. Surely they are the benchmark as the works team with that engine. You know, there's always the caveat of, oh, well, we won't be Alpha because they've got a Ferrari engine that's just vastly superior. If they can match Renault, that's got to be the benchmark for them and then eventually work their way back up to, you know, the Red Bull standard. Yeah, I I don't mind that at all. Chris, have you been taking the Matt Trumpet's role of monitoring the chat room or have we just let it turn into the Wild West in there? No, no, I've got, I mean, it has been the Wild West and actually it's been... I complained last week about how quick the chat room goes by. It's been even worse uh, today. Um, I say it like it's a bad thing. Thank you for coming. I mean, it's, it's amazing. great that we yeah. have an active chat room. Um, so I can I can read some out for you now, if you would like. Yeah, we've definitely got to find out who's the winner of. Comment of the week. So the drinking game used to be, if I forgot it, you would take a drink, but that was causing serious health issues. So I think the drinking game now should be, if I remember it, Everyone take a drink. What candidates do we have, Chris? So we have Erudite 450. Uh, Ricardo lost his wings because of a lack of Red Bull. Ow, ouch, no. I mean, as a dad, I approve of that, but no, it can't. that can't win. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, Rob Graham, Williams needs to hand out chocolate bars. Of course, referring to McLaren's reward to the staff of Freddo Frogs. Yeah, they're never going to live that down, are they? 
and Russell Coburn, uh, Williams, 3M compression socks F1 team next year for sure. That's good because that is a callback to a joke from, I think, May, which is amazing. So I think, should we hand that to Russell? Definitely. Comment of the week. Guys, some big plans coming up for Missed Apex podcast. We were supposed to do our iRacing event this week. We had to move it to next week. So it will be on March the 3rd, Sunday, 8 p.m. UK time. But you can join from 7 p.m. and get in there. Jake, are you going to be racing with us? I'm really hoping to be. It depends on whether I can race back from the Trent Valley Karting Club live feed from round three of their winter series. If I can, then yes, I'm so I need to make my Missed Apex iRacing debut. Top tip, look out for Jeansy. He will punt in the puntiest way. He possible. will. Yeah, he is. I've punting. been watching. I've been watching from afar. Yeah. I that one I couldn't race in. I was just sat in the lobby watching. And that man's evil he, in a way that even Sebastian Vettel can't compare to. Evil's the word I was I was looking for. Alex Punty Van Jean. Yeah, it was definitely his fault. Um so you can do that next Sunday on the third of March. On the sixteenth of March we're going down to Simply Race in Milton Keynes and we're gonna be live there. We're gonna do a little live recording as well. They have of 15 simulator pods hooked up annoyingly jake you're actually a bit good at sim racing i'm not bad i'm getting faster as well so the more i do the better i get so yeah i intend to be on the podium obviously your ballast not an issue your party ballast not an issue no yeah not an issue in at sim. all in karting i'm awful in sim racing i am yeah nigel mansell deal so that's the 16th of march on saturday at 4 p.m in milton Keynes at simply race I think there's one slot open. So email me at spannersready. No, that's not how emails work. Spannersready at gmail.com or DM me at spannersready. You can follow the show at Missed Apex F1 and you can follow us on Facebook as well by searching for Missed Apex Podcast. Thank you very much to tech guru Matthew Summerfield. PR, presumably you're good at PR. I don't know. Let's say PR genius Chris Stevens and to racing commentator Jake Sanson. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Testing news and a bit of that tech stuff. And now, as promised, Jake Sanson's interview with John Watson. Let's talk a little bit about how you've come to be this figure in the world of motorsport, because you made your name as a Formula One driver, having worked your way through the single-seater categories, and you made your name in 1976, winning for Penske, where you famously vowed you'd shave your beard off. What was that era of Formula One like? I mean, Jackie Stewart used to describe it as, you know, when motor racing was dangerous and sex was safe. What kind of lifestyle was it like when you were in Formula One in those days? Well, first of all, I'd like to know how Jackie would say sex was safe we just married. And he always maintains he was always the most diligent husband so Jackie how can you ask that question <laughs> it was for a movie I think he said uh, it. maybe yes and Roman Polanski was the director that says a lot about it as well uh, I mean I think I believe that the era of the 70s and into the 80s was a great era now I know that other people in motorsport have disagreed with that but the reason I say it is because at any point in the 70s or the early 80s there were on any given day maybe six, five, six teams of whom one of their drivers, one of their cars would win that race. And you contrast that to where we are in the last 10 or so years, and we're seeing domination from one manufacturer 
followed maybe after a four or five year break by another one. And there isn't the depth of competition or the depth of potential winners. And I think that's a shame. And the other thing I think is a shame is that I grew up in an era when Formula One was somewhat known as the garageiste period, when you know, Jean-Marie Ballas described independent owners as garageistes, which was, was a bit of an, an insult to them, because they were actually running their own businesses and running Formula One, and it's, it's on the back of what happened in the 70s, in conjunction with what Bernie Eccleston did to take Formula One from being you know, a technical sport into a global sport. So I think there was a great period. Uh, There was dark sides to it as well because there was a period when it was very dangerous. Tragically, lots of lovely people were unfortunately killed. But it was a period of also of great innovation. You think of aerodynamics coming in in the late 60s, slick tyres coming in in 1970, ground effects coming in in the late 70s, turbocharging coming in. It was never-ending. And today, we've got a sterile formula based on on a hybrid power unit and there is such a narrow regulation that it's there for a a good reason but the fact is it stifles innovation and there are some exceptionally talented technical directors in Formula One who would love to have the chance to display their skill and their imagination in building their definitive Formula One car. I've seen photographs today of cars I raced in the 70s and 80s. And the one thing that stands out is you can always tell a Brabham from a McLaren, from a Ferrari, from whatever else is on the grid, a Lotus, because they were individual and they were different. If you took any one of the cars on the grid today, painted it white, and put it alongside all the rest of the grid, you'd be hard to tell what was a Red Bull from a Ferrari, without being an expert, without being somebody who could go and say, well, that front wing cascade design yeah. is clearly, you know, that's navel-gazing. <laughs> you could tell a Brabham from a Ferrari, from a Lotus, from a McLaren, from a Ligier, whatever, at 100 paces. And that's, I feel, one of the things that's really lacking in Formula One. And on top of that, the way that drivers and I are restricted in their ability to maybe be politically incorrect or outspoken or whatever, now you've got people shadowing a driver 24-7 and everything that is said in a, in a press conference or in a meeting one-on-one like we're doing now will be being recorded by a member of the, the, the team to put on file in the event that ever something arises we can say well that was said at this particular point it's just it needs somebody needs to grab it by the scruff of the neck and reinvent it the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.